to our players, myself and the entire coaching staff are beyond excited to work with each and every single one of you. We're going to do this thing together to our organization. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. When we talk about all gas, no break, we're not talking about effort on the field. We're talking about the process at which we do, thing, do things. We're talking about the way we prepare, the way we wake up every single morning, the way we rehab, the way we communicate, the way we speak to one another. Cannot tell you enough about how excited I am to work with this entire Jets organization and understanding that when we wake up in the morning, we will all, from top down, step on the pedal and find a way to get somewhat better than we were when we, uh, when we woke up. To our fans, we embrace your passion. We embrace your expectations. We cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Please understand, we understand that we have a lot of work to do, but make no mistake, no mistake, that our goal is to win championships. And so again, I cannot wait to get through this journey with all of y'all. It's gonna be an exciting time, and I promise that you're gonna love, love what y'all see. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast. What you just heard is a little clip from Robert Sala's introductory press conference as head coach of the New York Jets. All gas, no break was his mantra going into this, and this is what the team's going to adopt moving forward. Listening to him talk during this got me so hype. Uh, I can't wait to see how he coaches the team moving forward and what next season has in store for us. we got a great show today. We're going to be talking about the press conference, some key takeaways from it. Got to get back into some more Deshaun Watson rumors and some other QB movement this offseason. And, of course, conference championship weekend breakdown. Let's get right into it. So last Thursday, the Jets held an introductory press conference for the, for our new head coach. It included Sala, of course, Joe Douglas, and principal owner at the time, Christopher Johnson. One of the first questions that were asked was actually to Christopher Johnson, and he was asked, has the organizational structure changed because in years past, uh, during the McCagnan era, the McCagnan Bulls, the, the way it was set up was not typically normal uh, for an NFL team's uh, power hierarchy, if that's what you want to call it. The, um, the coach and the GM both reported directly to the owner. Most teams have a system where the coach reports to the GM, the GM reports to the owner, and that's the power structure. But the past four or five years, that's how it worked with, with uh, McCagnan and, and Bulls, McCagnan and Gase, and I, I believe... Uh, Douglas and Gase. Uh, when asked about that, Christopher Johnson told told the press that the organizational structure has indeed changed. Sala will be reporting to Douglas, and Douglas will report to ownership. Um, I don't know if that's too big of a change. Christopher Johnson kind of downplayed it and said that does, it's not really going to change anything too much around here, but to Jets fans who are worried about that, I guess you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Another hot topic from the opening press conference Sala was asked a few questions about Sam Darnold, current quarterback of the Jets. Um, Sala was very complimentary of Sam. He, he mentioned his arm strength, his fearlessness in the pocket, his natural throwing motion, his mobility, football IQ, toughness and reputation in the locker room. But he would not commit to Sam being his uh, starting quarterback in 2021. He said that it would be unfair to the team to... Uh, to, to make that decision so early on before they even put the staff together, before they even uh, make, make certain draft evaluations and, and all that kind of stuff. So I guess the quarterback next year will be anybody's guess. Uh, it could be Sam. could be some rookie coming out of college, Watson, another veteran. We'll see how that plays out. So some other big news that we got, uh, not necessarily impacts the team too much, but 
Woody Johnson is back as the full-time owner of the Jets after finishing his tenure as ambassador to Great Britain under the Trump administration. Christopher said that he will still oversee day-to-day operations while Woody handles the big picture things. I can't can't help but think about that one episode of The Office where Jameis promoted the co-manager with Michael. And it, it's just, it just sounds funny. Uh, I mean, doesn't probably impact things too much. I know Woody was a little uh, infamous for meddling sometimes with roster decisions and certain players to pursue. But we did see some success under Woody, multiple playoff appearances, back-to-back AFC Championship games. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Christopher, uh, th- th- these past four years have been pretty rough under Christopher Johnson. So, another thing that was, that was announced or confirmed was Sala was asked if he would be calling defensive plays as head coach, and he said no, he would be deferring that to Jeff Ulbrich, and that was pretty much the first word of confirmation we got that Jeff Ulbrich would be our defensive coordinator. He was interim defensive coordinator uh, for the Falcons last season after Dan Quinn was fired and Raheem Morris was promoted. He brings a lot of energy. He reminds me a lot of Sala. He's a former player, former linebacker for the 49ers, so I, I tr- if, if Sala trusts him, I trust him. Other than that, a lot of the press conference was just a lot of coach speak. Uh, just some, some, a couple words from Joe Douglas, a couple words from CJ, and that was about that. That was uh, only the really main takeaways as, as for the, the uh, state of the Jets. And let's uh, move on to some more Deshaun Watson rumors. So it feels like almost every morning when I wake up, there's always something new, a new, a new post that Deshaun's liked on Instagram or Twitter a new jersey swap that he's liked, some more leaks from the Texans organization, some more smoke, some more fire. On Sunday morning before the conference championship games, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, who is a very, very, uh, very well-respected reporter. He's been covering football in Texas for 40, 50 years. And he tweeted that, quote, if the Texans end up trading Deshaun Watson, it should be the Jets for their first and second round picks this year and next, and Quinn and Williams at the least. And the Texans used the second overall pick on the second best QB to replace Watson. Now, let, let's go back to the uh, the actual cost it would be to trade Deshaun Watson. It would be the second overall pick this year, the 23rd overall pick, our 34th pick, which is second second round, second overall and Quinn and Williams and our two Seattle picks next year and our second round next year, which is way too much. Even for Deshaun Watson, a franchise quarterback in his prime, it is way, way too much. But uh, the good news here is whenever people talk trades in the NFL, teams always go back and forth. The initial offer is always very high. Um, I really don't think Douglas pulls the trigger on this trade. This is just way too much draft capital. We'd be ending up like the Texans next year uh, with no first and second round picks and the year after. It just is way too high, and the, the value of Deshaun Watson will definitely go down. Just like just like how you know Jamal Adams burnt his way out of, out of New York, uh, I could see Deshaun Watson burning his way out. He could demand a trade, tweet some stuff, post some stuff, leak some things, but the offer will eventually go way down. Definitely will not be getting Watson for that much but for a segue we can we can go into Deshaun Watson is on the list of a lot of starting quarterbacks this year who could possibly be on the move this offseason will definitely be an interesting one when it comes to quarterbacks around the league and I thought we'd, we'd get into that a little bit
So obviously we had we have Deshaun Watson, who has made it clear he's not happy in Houston right now. Possibly going to be on the move this offseason. So next up we have Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, uh, everything seemed fine initially, but then after the NFC Championship game, he he made some comments in his post game presser that were a little questionable. And but allegedly he wants a new contract and. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe he wants to play somewhere else. Maybe he's not happy with the state of the Packers organization. And I, I, I would say he's earned the right to uh, say no to the Packers if he wants to after what he's done for them the past however many 15 years of his career. But uh, the, the next quarterback that could possibly be on the move that came out this past week was Matt Stafford. Stafford and the Lions mutually agreed to part ways uh, after this offseason, and the Lions hired their, their new coach and their new GM. So they're really uh, pulling the plug here. They're they're uh, they're they're starting fresh with a new quarterback, new coach, new GM, and Stafford will be on a new team in 2021. Next up is Dak Prescott. He's an un- unrestricted free agent coming off uh, his gruesome leg injury this past season. He played under the franchise tag for the Cowboys, so he got his money, but. He is not under contract for any team, so he will be able to test the market unless the Cowboys tag him again or lock him up before he's able to hit the market. But Dak could potentially be uh, on a new team next year. We'll see how Jerry and the Cowboys decide how to how to handle this this uh, this, this big free agent they got. Next up is our our boy Sam Darnold. Could potentially be on the move after a rough uh, first three years in the NFL. I think he could really benefit from a fresh start somewhere else. Uh, a new offensive system, a new head coach, a new regime to learn under. Maybe not start right away, but compete for the starting job. Maybe learn underneath a veteran. Um, I think that's what's best for him and both the Jets. But maybe he could be kept. I know Salah had some high praise for him in his opening press conference. And the Jets uh, are also still very high on him. I think he'd be a great fit for the uh, the the Shanahan offense. So maybe he goes to San Francisco. Maybe he goes elsewhere. I just think that Sala and uh, Douglas will decide on they they're going to want to tie themselves to a new quarterback, not to a quarterback who struggled his first three years in the league. But I could be wrong. So yeah. Moving on from Darnold, we have another young quarterback in a tough spot, Carson Wentz uh, with the Eagles. It was reported that towards the end of the season, his relationship with Doug Peterson was was fractured, irreparable, and uh, the Eagles chose Peter, uh, excuse me, Wentz over Peterson. So, and I, I think that with the hiring of Nick Sirianni, uh, they're really trying to bring Frank Reich back into the fold, or a Frank Reich 2.0 to try and bring Wentz back to that 2017 form before he went down with the ACL. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe he's uh, he's out, and Jalen Hurts is the new quarterback, but. Um, there's a lot of questions in Philadelphia, and the quarterback could be different this upcoming offseason. Next up is Jared Goff. Jared Goff is a, is a bit of a, a, a weird case. He led the Rams to the Super Bowl in his third year. Oh, I don't know if he led them, but he, he helped along the way. Um, they lost, and the following year they missed the playoffs, and this year he was hurt down the stretch, but he still didn't play his best ball. It was reported by Ian Rappaport actually today on the 27th of January that it was going to be an open competition between Goff and John Walford going into training camp of 2021. So if Walford beats him out, maybe another team needs a bridge quarterback or or a a placeholder starter. The only issue is Goff has a gigantic contract attached to him, uh, which kicks in, I believe, this year for the next four years. 
So it'll be pretty hard to move off him. Maybe Sean McVay is just trying to light a fire under his butt, see if he can get him to play better. But, yeah, Jared Goff could potentially be on the move. Another California quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, he, he's been talked about since last offseason when it was rumored that Tom Brady wanted to be a 49er. Uh, Jimmy G's been injury prone, except for, that, except for the year they made it to the Super Bowl. Every other year he's been hurt. His level of play has been questionable. Evan always thinks about that one deep ball he missed in the, in the last uh, one of the last drives of the Super Bowl last year that could have locked it up for the 49ers. Um, the Niners can cut him this, this this year and save 24 million on the cap, which it looks like a, a really good option for them because they have a lot of really good players that are about to hit free agency, and they could use that 24 million to to bring some players back. But it seems the Rams might be in the market for a new quarterback, and I, or excuse me, the, the 49ers, and I would not blame them. Um, I, th- I think they can, they can be, get better than Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe even move up for a Zach Wilson type or trade for Sam Darnold. They have a lot of options, lots of options. Next up is Cam Newton. Cam Newton's an un- unrestricted free agent after a rough year with the Pats. After getting cut by the Panthers last offseason and signing that one-year deal with the Pats, uh, everyone was a little excited to see how he would he would play in the in the Patriots offense, but he had a he started hot, got COVID, and ever since he got COVID, when he came back, he just wasn't the same those first few games uh, as those few, first few games. And I, I think he will probably catch on as a backup somewhere. I don't think he'll be getting another starting job, but Cam still definitely got some left in the tank. Maybe if not as a starter, maybe as a backup. Next up is Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, the Panthers. They could be in the market for a new quarterback. They could move up and draft one. They can get one of these guys that I've I've listed so far. But Teddy, he's nothing special. He's just a good, like I would say, he he's like a, a good backup to have. He's a good bridge quarterback. He's nothing. He's never going to be anything special. He's not going to win you any games on his back. But he has the talent to to win a game here or there as a backup quarterback. Kind of like a, an Alex Smith, who is also potentially on the move this year. He can be cut to save $14 million in cap. And the Washington football team is definitely looking to find their quarterback of the future after the Dwayne Haskins experiment failed. Um, they could be moving up in this draft. They could be going out and looking for a, a Matt Stafford, a Jimmy G, to see if they can shore up that QB position for, for the next few years. Next up is Jameis Winston. He was he was let go by the Buccaneers. Was not brought back or re-signed after they signed Tom Brady to that big contract. Uh, Jameis was a backup for the Saints this year, and in a he actually played a few times. He played in the second half of the second game between the Saints and the Bucks. He had that trick play in the divisional round against the Buccaneers, uh, and he, I think he 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 still has a chance to be a starter in this league. He threw for that the year he threw for 30 for 30, 30 picks, 30 touchdowns. He threw for 5,000 yards, and it's it, it, that's not an easy feat to accomplish. There's definitely some talent there. He's just got to work on his ball security, and I think Jameis will definitely get another starting shot elsewhere in the league, if not for the Saints. Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He started off the year super hot until he was benched for Tua, which apparently rubbed a lot of the Dolphins players the wrong way. Um... He can definitely be a backup in the league somewhere, potentially even a bridge starter for a team that drafts a young quarterback. He he knows that well. He, he, it's it's fits magic. He has hot stretches. He has cold, very cold stretches. He could end up on a new team elsewhere this offseason. I could see him backing up for a team that that drafts a young quarterback in this year's draft. 
Another quarterback that's going to be on the move is Mitchell Trubisky. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent after having his fifth-year option decline. The Bears could decide to bring him back. He didn't play too well, or he, excuse me, he, he, he played somewhat well down the stretch this past offseason after Nick Foles got hurt, and he kept that starting job up until they got knocked out of the playoffs in the wild card round. However, I just there's nothing special in his game, and I think the Bears really need to upgrade that quarterback position, maybe getting a, getting a veteran, drafting a new quarterback in the, in the, the mid-first round. But Trubisky should not be back as the starter, but considering how the Bears have, have brought back Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, uh, it, it's not completely out of the question for them to bring back Trubisky for one last year to see if, uh, if, if Nagy can make it work. So I think now it's time to finally get into the conference championship games. We started off Sunday afternoon with Buccaneers at Packers. Everyone was pretty hyped for this game, Brady versus Rodgers. Uh, I don't think we could have asked for a better matchup in the NFC Championship game. So the uh, the Bucks offense started pretty hot. Mike Evans caught a uh, nice nice catch to uh, set up a red zone possession and then capped it off with the, with a touchdown catch. It was all him that first drive. Uh, the, the Buccaneers defense had the game of their lives. Uh, Todd Bowles put together a great game plan to slow down Rodgers in the Packers offense. Rodgers threw a... a, a 40-yard pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Bucks DB whiffed on the tackle, and Green Bay was able to tie it up at 7. Chris Godwin had a, a rough drop for a first down, and then he followed it up with a huge catch to set up the, the Buccaneers at around the 20-yard line. And Fournette had a one of the greatest touchdown runs I've seen in a while. Uh, he bumped off some guys, a great spin move to cap it off with a touchdown and the Buccaneers really were, were moving uh, in the first half, most definitely. It was a pretty solid game for them. The Packers were able to get to the red zone a few times, but had to settle for, for some field goals. It was 14-10 to 10 with about, I want to say, two minutes left in the half, and I, I thought that Rodgers was about to take this ball down and tie it up going into halftime. And then Rodgers was intercepted by Murphy Bunting, who had a great game the week before, and... The Bucks had the ball with about 20 seconds left in the half. I figured they were just going to run the run the clock out, but they ended up taking a few shots. And one of the shots, Brady to Scotty Miller to make it 21-10 going into the half. Kevin King completely whiffed on the coverage. And it looked like the, the Greg Williams defense from the Raiders game <laughs> this season. It was a man coverage one-on-one, -on -one, and Scotty completely blew past King. And to make it 21-10, it was pretty tough for the Packers. But the Packers had the ball to open off the second half. Aaron Jones went out for a little screen pass. He caught it, and he got hit pretty hard. He was on the ground, but the ball popped out. The uh, The Bucks were able to get a red zone possession to start off the first half. And Brady to Cameron Brait for a touchdown to make it 28-10 with 14 minutes left in the third quarter. And from here, everyone thought it was game over, but can't count out Aaron Rodgers that fast. The Packers put together a scoring drive. Rodgers to Tunyon, touchdown to make it 28-17. And then Brady was intercepted. Rodgers was able to turn that into another touchdown to Devontae Adams. And it was 28-23. Uh, the, the Packers went for the two-point conversion. And it was a great play design, great play call. But Rodgers hit uh, St. Brown in the chest for the two-point conversion, but it was dropped. So instead of 25 to 28, it would be 23 to 28. And this is when the Bucks offense started to melt down a little bit. 
uh, Brady was just throwing interceptions. Uh, Jair Alexander had two on the day. Brady threw three. But the Packers were not able to do anything with, uh, with these back-to-back picks. It was really tough to watch just how, how great of an offense the Packers had this season and just how they were stifled by this Bucks defense late into this game. The, the Bucks were able to get down the field for a, another field goal to make it 31-23 to with five minutes left. And the Packers had one last chance to tie this game up. It, it, it would require a touchdown and a two-point. But if anyone could do it, it's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So the, the Packers got down there with about two minutes left. And it was uh, it was goal to go. And they went three and out. On that third down, uh, Rodgers had it, it what looked like a wide open right side of the field where he could have ran it in for a touchdown. He tried to force it to Devontae Adams. Ended up incomplete. Maybe he saw something there that, that no one else did. Maybe uh, the broadcast didn't have a good enough angle, but he didn't take it himself, which is a very questionable call. Uh, some, some people think he could have ran that in for the touchdown. If he didn't do it, I don't think he believed he could have done it. So this is where the controversy begins. On fourth, fourth and goal from about the five or six yard line, the Packers elect to kick a field goal to make it 31-26 with, with a little bit more than two minutes left in the game. So let's go through all the, the possible scenarios that could have come out of this. So the Packers, let's say the Packers go for it and they don't get it. It's 31-23 and the Bucks have the ball deep in their own territory. Who's, who's to say the Packers get, Packers defense gets the stop there? Because the Bucks offense was, was pretty much humming at this point. So let's say the, the Packers defense doesn't, doesn't get the stop. The Bucks run out the clock. Game's over 31-23. to 23. Now, let's go with if the Packers go for it and get the touchdown. Who's, who's to say they get the two-point conversion? They didn't get it the last time they tried for it in this game. Maybe they do. They tie it up. But I think at the end of the day, regardless, what, what LaFleur was thinking is that Regardless, we have to get the stop because even if they do score the touchdown, there's still some time on the board and tie. If they, even if they score the touchdown, there is still time on the board for the for the Buccaneers to go down the field, run the clock out, or kick a field goal and win 34 to 31 if they get the two point. So I, I don't hate the decision to go to go for the field goal with two minutes left, but uh, regardless, what happened was even worse. Um, the Bucks got the ball back and. They were. It was third down and and seven from the 35 yard line. And keep in mind, the entire game, the referees were were allowing a lot of hand checking. They were allowing the DBs and the receivers to you know push each other around a little bit. There was no pass interference called for for the entirety of the game, up until this last one. Kevin King holds down Chris Godwin for what would be the the game clinching. Uh, pass interference penalty and it pretty much ended the game and it to me it was it was such a a terrible way for this game to end I don't understand what's going through the referee's mind when he is watching the the potentially last play of the NFC and the last play that matters of the NFC championship game and he throws the, the the penalty flag after not throwing it the entire game it's just it's such a shame and in my opinion a disgrace to the game you just let him play at that point, especially after not calling it the entire game. It's just such a, such a ticky-tack call, and it, it, the refs put the game into their hands, and, I, and that's never a recipe for success in any sports league, in any any game you can play with referees. It's just a, such a such a shame for the game to end like that. But uh, the Bucks got the win, thirty-one to twenty-six, and they punched their ticket to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady goes to his tenth appearance in the Super Bowl. 
looking for his seventh ring, and it is the first time the 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 home field of the Super Bowl will be played by the team that plays in the market. So the Super Bowl is going to be in Tampa, and the Buccaneers will be, will be in the Super Bowl. So next up, we had the second game, the AFC Championship game, Bills at Chiefs. This game was not nearly as exciting as the NFC Championship game. Uh, not nearly. It was pretty pretty boring, to be honest with you. The Bills came out to an early 9-0 lead thanks to an opening drive field goal and then a, a muffed punt by Mecole Hardman. And then after that, it was not much of a game. The Chiefs turned it on and scored three straight touchdowns to make it 21-9. And then I think the deciding point of the game was late in the second quarter going into halftime. The Bills had the ball in the red zone, and uh, they decided to kick a field goal before going into half to make it 21-12. When if, if they were really trying to win this game, they should have just gone for it. Even if you don't get it, you, at least you tried. Because you cannot just settle for field goals against the Chiefs. If you, if you start kicking field goals, they're just going to keep running the score up because you're not going to be able to stop them on defense. After that, the Bills were, ne- were never able to get back into the game. The Chiefs scored. They scored two more touchdowns, another field goal. The Bills fought a little bit in the end, but the Chiefs just ran them over en route to their second straight Super Bowl appearance. And we officially now have a Chiefs at Bucks Super Bowl. And yes, the Chiefs are at the Buccaneers because, of course, that Super Bowl is in Tampa Bay. Should be a fun one. Uh, I think we'll we'll go into a bit more of a breakdown next week's in next week's episode. We'll really talk about the matchups. We're gonna see uh, my eventual prediction to who's gonna win. So thank you guys for listening this week. This was the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.